you for all the all the food, all the cakes, the pies. Oh my goodness, it's been wonderful. Fast Appreciation Day uh, month, and so we so appreciate all the the gifts and, and the cards. And we just want to tell you thank you, thank you for allowing us to be your pastors. Thank you for allowing us to be part of such an amazing congregation that are just normal people. That's how I describe you guys all the time. So it's just regular people. Just regular people who like to smile, who like to have fun, and who are easy to get along with. I mean, that, that's you guys. And so thank you guys, just for, from the bottom of my heart, for allowing Melissa and I to be your pastors. We, we, you don't know what it means to us. We're very humbled uh, that you guys even want us. And so we, we, every, every Sunday I show up to church, I'm just thanking the Lord that I get to be a, a part of such amazing, amazing, amazing congregation. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate, love you guys very much, and uh, excited what God's going to do. Amen. Amen, amen. This morning, I want to ask you a question. How do you know if you're successful? How do you know if you're successful? You know, some of you are like, well, my mama told me this morning. I mean, that don't count, all right? I love your mama, but that don't count if she told you you're successful, right? You could be living in a basement at 45 years old, and your mama's going to tell you you're successful. You might not be at that point. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Don't want to offend nobody. But, uh, so how do you know? How do you know if you're successful or not? You know, in a job setting, if you have a job, you're working a job, you have kind of qualifiers that you know if you meet these standards that you're successful. So you have quotas. Maybe if you have a certain quota to do this many things at this, this amount of time, you're successful. So you know this to be true. At school, those of you who are in school, you know, you have the standards. Maybe you, your teacher put a rubric out for you. You got to find, you got to follow that. Make sure you get all the points for that assignment, whatever it may be. In a marriage, how do you know if you're successful or not? Right? Come on. As a Christian... As a Christian, we're walking this Christian life. How do you know you're successful as a Christian in this life? I mean, what do you guys think? The truth of it is success or failures is usually measured by external factors, isn't it? Like the rubric or like the, the job performance. You know what's required of you. This kind of leads us into where we're going this morning in Acts chapter 14. In Acts 14, you see kind of a pattern happening in Acts chapter 14. Paul, the apostle, he speaks the truth of the gospel, and he gets thrown out of town. Like, that's his pattern for Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, you understand, they're on this missionary journey, right? They're on this journey because they got the good news. Now, what is the good news? They have a new covenant. Remember the old covenant? You had to be a Jewish person to be accepted, to be right, right? Well, Jesus came and brought this new covenant, and it means that everybody qualifies. That means when he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. That means you and I can be part of this new covenant, something we've never had access before, right? And now we're part of this new covenant. It means we're accepted. It means we're good with God. It means he died for our sins, right? And so now here's Paul and Barnabas. They're going throughout all the lands telling people about this new covenant, Telling the Gentiles, remember the Gentiles were considered unclean, filthy people? They now have a new covenant. I mean, this is earth-shattering news. And so here's Paul and Barnabas. They're going throughout the region telling everybody the good news. And of course, we know the Jewish people this time, 
some of them didn't like this, right? Because now they're no longer the favorites. Now the thing they had, that special thing they had, now is available to everybody. And so now you understand that as, as Paul and Barnabas is going throughout these towns, sharing the good news, some people are going to save, some are not, some are enjoying it, some are hating it. And so they come to town, they, they speak the good news, they tell everybody about Jesus, why he did on the cross. Some of them accept them, some of them kick them out of town, right? And at the beginning of Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas goes into a city. They preach the good news, they preach the gospel, the message of forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. They even perform signs and wonders. I mean, they've got it going on. But the Gentile and the Jewish leaders, they mistreat them. They actually end up throwing rocks at them. And so Paul and Barnabas, they flee to the next town. But some of those same people in that last town, they track Paul and Barnabas down. It wasn't good enough they ran them out of their town. They track them down to Lysteria and convince the locals to stone Paul and drag him out of the city. And this is not the kind of stone that a lot of you guys think about today, right? This is a stone with rocks. I mean, this is not the plant stone. This is rocks, right? And so they're tossing these giant rocks at them and literally stone Paul. And there's a lot of theologians that will say, at this point, Paul probably died. Because you're getting hit by that many rocks, you never survive. And so they think, some theologians think Paul probably died right here and was raised back from the dead, but... This is happening to these two guys everywhere they go. Paul did the right thing. He preached the gospel message, and he nearly lost it all. And so now my question today is, what is a successful mission? What is a successful mission? I mean, by all outward factors, Paul seems to be a bit of a failure here. I mean, he's chased out of cities where he's supposed to be starting new churches. Time and time again, we see this. But then you get to the end of chapter 14, and Paul and Barnabas throw a party to celebrate what God's accomplished. I mean, at that point, I just got stoned. I'm like, I'm not celebrating nothing, right? Come on, who's with me? I got tossed out of town. People are throwing rocks at me. I'm not celebrating. Some of you walked in this morning, feel like people throwing rocks at you. You're overwhelmed with life. You feel like you're treading water. You feel like a failure, like nothing I do is right. Some of you walked in here, the last thing you want to do is to celebrate. Can I just, uh, come on, anybody with me today? I'm, I'm, come on. You walk in and you're like, I don't even feel like lifting my hands today. I don't feel like singing. You know, I felt like bacon, that was good, but the rest of it, huh? Because we feel like failures a lot of times. These guys, by all outside factors, they look like failures. But here they are, they're celebrating. Right? In chapter 13, we see they went to Antioch where it all started. But look how it ends in verse 27. Let me, let me just show you in Scripture how to end it in verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the churches together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I'm like, what? Because that's not what I just read. But here they are, they're celebrating what God had done. I think if we can understand what makes their missionary effort a success, 
it's going to help us assess how we're doing in life. And how we not look, maybe not judge things by all these external factors, but maybe judge them in the light of eternity. How we're doing in life. I mean, our mission, what's our mission again? Our mission, your mission, is to tell our story. It's, it's that simple. To tell your story. What, am I, what do I mean by that? I mean, tell your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Like, I was this way before I found Jesus. I was a mess. I was making the wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. And then I met Jesus, and now all of a sudden, I know what grace is. I know that there's somebody who loves me. In fact, of all my bad choices, there's someone who loves me. I know I was this way. I was a very angry, bitter person before Jesus. After Jesus, I, I love life. I know I had this addiction, I was bound, but after Jesus, I found freedom. And so what is our mission? We have to tell our story. You tell your story because others can relate to that story, and they see Jesus through you. And so that's what our mission is, is to tell our story. Let others know the good news of the gospel. Let others know that there is freedom. Let others know that there is forgiveness, that there's grace, that there's mercy, that there's a God that loves them and wants a relationship with them. That's what we're to share. So that, in light of that, I want us to know, to better understand what can make our mission successful. So we're going to find out by going back to see what happened in Paul Barnabas' first journey. And I just want to highlight the big events. I'm not going to read all the scripture to you. I'm just going to highlight the big events. So if we start actually back in chapter 13, verses 4 to 42, what we see is in Cyprus, Paul confronts a musician. Some of you remember that story. He blinds him, and the local government leader believes, right? And so Paul performs a miracle. And someone in power comes to Christ. Success, right? You ever think everybody would be, okay, that's an easy win. We understand that that's an easy win. And then verses in 13, verses 13 to 52, Paul preaches to the Jews in Antioch and Poseidon. And, and after initial interest, even they, they drew a large crowd, they rejected him. Some of the Gentiles believed and the word spread. The leaders decided to drive them out. Right? And remember the end of the story that Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet and they say, we're leaving this place? So on that one, that's kind of questionable. That he saw a little bit of success, but then he saw a lot of, it, it appeared to be failure, right? I mean, some people came to Christ, but they were driven out of town, you know? And so then we get to Acts 14, 1 through 7. They come to Icom. They preach, and both Jews and Greeks believe but unbelievers poison the majority against them. They preserve, they preserve, they persevere for a while, but in the end, they end up leaving, right? Again, some people came to Christ, uh, they got chased out of town. Success, failures, I don't know. What do you think? Then we get to verse 8 through 18, they go to Lystra. And a small, it's a small city. Paul heals a crippled man. He, he thanks, you know, thanks Paul and Barnabas. But then they get mistaken identity. People think this is Zeus and Hermes. And they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And they tear their garments. And instead of 
them knowing the one true God, these people think they're they're God. And so we see a miracle healing, but we also see confusion, right? And so then again, success or failures, you know? Paul unintentionally attracts false worship to himself. And so again, you look at that mission, you're like, ah, I don't know, that don't look very good. And then again, they get chased out of town. And then we go on to verses 19 to 23. Then opposition come from previous cities. Antioch, Icom persuaded the crowds against them, and then they stoned Paul. He survives. They go down to another town where he preaches and makes disciples. Then after that, they get chased out of town again. I mean, you see a pattern here in Acts chapter 14. Right? Success, failure, success, failure. Like, I don't know. Who's, I don't know if they're successful or not. Now, I remember when I was, uh, when I, uh, right at 18, I've told you this before, I got the, the dream job for a guy, for a teenage boy, working at the Porsche and Audi dealership. We also serviced, uh, we sold Mazas, uh, Oldsmobiles, and Jeeps. And I remember one of my jobs, part of the job was we get a, a carload of new vehicles, brand new vehicles. We take them across the street. We had a, a building over there a lot, and we just line them up, and you go through them, right? You go through them. You had to install a couple of things, but you had to do a checklist, make sure they were, they were right, everything's good, and then go into the inventory. Brand new vehicles, right? Very simple. However many cars, so we put this security system on there, and this is old school, where you had to put like a key fob into, a, into the deal, and it would allow your vehicle to start. So we had to install those on the cars, then they could get processed in new vehicles, right? Just a car salesman sell, upselling is what that was. But anyway, so we got paid by how many of those we put in the cars, right? And so that was a big deal. So you know you did 10 cars, you got paid for those 10 cars a day, right? One day, I'm there, my buddy's there, and we have this mule that we drive back and forth, we tow cars with and do all that. Guys being guys, right? I thought I would show off a little bit. I'm at the front of the warehouse. I talk to my buddy. I was like, watch this. I just floor it in reverse. Unbeknownst to me, there was new vehicles behind me. Brand new vehicles. That mule pancaked the front of one of these vehicles. And the hood just went like a unicorn, uh, uh, ukulele or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it was not a good thing. Called in the office. I'm like, okay, that one's going to count against me. Right? I mean, that's obvious failure, right? Obvious failure. They can no longer sell this car as brand new. Like, they got to take it to body shop, fix it, and then they sell it as used car. Somebody got a great deal, I'm just saying. I helped somebody out early in my mission in life. <laughs> but, I mean, that was obviously a failure on my part, right? I mean, that, that, there's no argument around it. I failed. I did not feel successful that day. But Paul and Barnabas, they go through all these trials, and then we get to verses 24 to 28, and they return to Antioch, and they celebrate. I'm like, I got ran out of how many towns I lost track of. I got stoned. I don't feel like celebrating. And so you got to ask the question, was this missions trip a success or failure? I mean, how do we as churches typically measure success? I mean, in the church world, it usually goes by the three B's, right? 
Budget, building, and bodies. That's usually what people measure, right? You get a group of pastors together, and the first question is like, how many are running? You know, that's usually the first question, right? And then I even was with some pastors earlier, they were like, hey, what's your budget? I'm like, what? What kind of question is that? But that's, that, that's how it's kind of measured in the, in the church world. If we have a healthy budget, a nice building, and lots of bodies that fill the chairs, we look pretty successful. But then you got to ask the question, but would Paul and Barnabas meet any of those measurements? In 13 and 14 of chapter Acts, of Acts, would they meet any of those measurements? I mean, no buildings, come on. No buildings, maybe a small budget, some bodies, but then some of those bodies wanted to kill them, so I think that counts negatively towards you. I'm not sure about that one. So were they successful for failures? And I was reading an author recently who pointed out that we shouldn't judge successful failures based on immediate results. Rather, as believers, its significance is only found in eternity. I think this is where we get ourselves in trouble in our day-to-day life, in successful failures. We feel like a failure when this happens. We feel like a failure when maybe we got laid off. We feel like a failure when maybe that relationship didn't work out. We feel like a failure when, when you know, our budget is, is hit, the, hit the, you know, below the bottom line and we're just flailing right now. A lot of times we measure success and failures based on the world standards. Success is having that three-bedroom, two-car, garage, house, combo, whatever. Success is having that pickup with the heated steering wheel and the bun warmers, you know, that, that, that success. And so we, we use these standards that the world sets and we measure ourselves by these standards. And let me just tell you, oftentimes we come up short. Paul and Barnabas, if you would have measured them against the world standards, they would have come up Failures. This in the church world, as, as missionaries, they'd probably pulled them off the field by now. But yet, when we start measuring in, in light of eternity, that changes things, doesn't it? That changes things. That changes how we react. That changes how we respond. And so the challenge is, what if we let God judge what is successful and what is not? You've been praying for that person for 10 years, that family member that doesn't know Jesus. You've been praying for them 10 years, and they still act the same way. You consider that a failure. Be honest. But in light of eternity, right? In light of eternity, you don't know what God's doing in their life. In light of eternity, you don't know how God's going to use that person. You don't know what God has for plan for that person. So you cannot judge that situation as success or failure. Only God can. Let God handle those things. Let God judge what is successful and what is not. Okay, so then does that mean there's nothing left to tell us if we're headed in the right direction? I'm not saying that. So I'm going to show you some things, how to evaluate maybe. Instead of asking, (coughs) excuse me, instead of asking what is a successful mission, 
Maybe we should start asking, what is a faithful mission? What does a faithful mission look like? I want to pull out some principles. I won't keep you guys long this morning. I got five principles that are going to show you what a faithful mission looks like. The first one is this. Boldly share the gospel message. Boldly share the gospel message. This is how we can evaluate how, if we're doing a good job. That we're boldly sharing the gospel message. Wherever Paul and Barnabas went, no matter what else happened, you can say they boldly shared the good news of the gospel. They boldly proclaimed Jesus Christ. Every person they came across, they shared Jesus. They shared that Jesus came to rescue them. They shared that Jesus came to set them free. They shared that Jesus came to love them. They shared that Jesus died and rose again to redeem them. They shared that Christ pays for our lives and our lives are counted in his life. We get his perfection and he renews us. That we're transformed into different people because of his sacrifice on the cross. That's what they boldly shared. Are we boldly sharing the good news of Jesus? Hey, Pastor, I'm not evangelist. That's okay. I'm not either. So how does that look in our lives? How do we boldly share the gospel? Just tell them what Jesus done. I'm not telling you make up stories. Just tell them what Jesus done in your life. Tell them how you were lost. How you were a mess. But then Jesus... The fact that you found out that there's a God that wants a relationship with you. That he knew all your bad choices and he still chose you. So much so he sent his son to die on a cross. That's all you got to do. Tell them. I mean, how are you doing on this? Are you boldly sharing the gospel message? We got to be faithful in this. This is a non-negotiable. Like this is number one. You have to be boldly sharing the God. Why? Why, Pastor? Because somebody shared it with you. Somebody gave you this amazing gift. I mean, this amazing gift. And then you it's for you to pass on. Right? It's like your favorite restaurant. You guys got a favorite restaurant? Like Melissa and I have like one of our favorite date spots is Karai Ramen. If you don't like ramen, it's not like a microwave ramen. It's not like the college, a 25-cent pack of ramen. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking bone broth. We're talking pork belly. We're talking egg noodle. I mean, it's just amazing, right? And so we love this place. So we tell people all the time, oh, you got to try this place. I'll even joke about, it'll change your life. We do that with restaurants. Why can't we do that with Jesus? You've got to try this. It's going to change your life. That's, what, that's how we evaluate. Are we being faithful in mission? Are you being bold about the gospel? You don't have to be weird about it. Just say, hey, man, you won't believe what I heard this week at church. Or, oh, I, I, was, reading this, or I was reading this passage. You know what it says? I mean, that... Don't overcomplicate it. Don't give them the Roman's robe off the bat. You'll freak them out. Don't try quoting the 16 fundamentals of the Assemblies of God with two scripture references. It's okay. You can get there later. Just let them know that Jesus loves them. Let them know about grace. Let them know about mercy. The things this, this world does not tell you about. This world does not offer grace and mercy 
in freedom. Boldly share the gospel. All right, what makes a faithful mission? Second, enduring on mission despite opposition. Enduring on mission despite opposition. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they faced so much opposition. They faced the magician. They faced the Jews and the Gentiles, wanting to stone them, chasing them out of cities. And Acts even says some people poison other people's minds about them. I mean, Acts chapter 14, verses 2 to 3 says this, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly before the Lord. I mean, have you ever had someone else poison minds against you? I think all of us have, right? It's not a pleasant thing. And yet Paul and Barnabas endured because they cared more about sharing the good news of the gospel than what people were saying about them. They faced opposition, but they knew that in light of eternity, that was nothing. That mattered nothing in light of eternity, that they faced a little opposition right now. Remember we did a timeline? Say from that wall to that wall is a lifespan, your lifespan, okay? And then, so this is your timeline. I messed it up. The timeline from this wall to that wall, right? Your life here on earth takes about this much of that timeline. And then you have all eternity. So this little much to face some opposition versus eternity, that's what we're talking about this morning. That, yeah, we might face a little opposition. Yeah, people might start avoiding us because you talk about Jesus a little too much. But guess what? It's okay. That's what we're called to do. Tell our story. Let them know Jesus loves them. Let them know there's mercy, there's grace, there's healing, there's freedom. We can endure for a little bit because we got eternity ahead of us. So yeah, we may face some little opposition. Oh, but it's so worth it because we have eternity before us. And so we keep sharing the good news. We keep enduring. We keep on mission. You know, there's a story in this book called Micah for You. And in it, the author tells a story about two men. They're both convicted of a serious crime. They're both given long sentences. As they begin their time in prison, one prisoner was told his wife and son had died while he was in prison. The other knew that his wife and daughter were still alive. And so how do you think that affected their experience in prison? Well, the one who found out his wife and child died, he lasted a couple years, and then he passed away in prison. But the one that knew his wife and daughter was still alive, he endured the harsh condition of the prison and was freed 10 years later and reunited with his family. Why? Because he knew. He knew they were waiting for him. He knew there was something more beyond the trials, beyond this, this opposition, beyond all the junk. There was some goodness over there. That's what we know. That's why we endure. That's why we share the good news. That's why we, we share the love of Christ. That's why we love people even when they're not friendly to us. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to show grace to those around us. We're called to smile. Come on, all you non-smilers in here. You're called to smile. You're called to share the joy, share the love, even in face of opposition. There will be some people who don't want your smile that day. That's okay, you keep smiling. Because you know there's something better waiting for you. 
They know that there's eternity. There's heaven waiting on us. And we do these things because of that. I mean, what could you endure if you knew that the Savior of mankind had risen from the grave and one day you'd be soon united with him? Come on. You could endure anything. So we endure on mission despite opposition. Number three, and I'm going to hurry. Humility in self, but confident in spirit. Humility in self, but confident in spirit. Even though Paul and Barnabas got rejected, Acts 13.52 says they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and filled with God's Spirit. They're so filled, Paul performs miracles in many places he goes. We, we know this. One of the commentaries I like, written by N.T. Wright, he talks about the highs and lows of the Christian mission. He says this, he said, without the lows, we won't experience the highs. Without the rejection, the opposition, the suffering, we're never going to cry out so much to God that he gives us signs and wonders. He writes this, he said, we don't see God work because it's more comfortable to stay in the safe middle space where we don't ask too much of God and he don't ask too much of us. Come on. Anybody in that middle space? Listen, I, I just want to punch the spiritual time clock, God. You know, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm not asking for no big miracles. You don't ask for no crazy stuff for me. We're good, you know, all right? We're, we got a good understanding. I'll go to church. I'll give tithes. I'll do all that. But I'm not there talking to my neighbor. And so we stay in this little safe space in the middle. But what if we set no expectations for ourselves or others, but we set high expectations for God? So how do we have humility in ourselves but confidence in Him? It's very simple. We pray. We pray. Every day, you're just, you're just having a conversation with Jesus. You pray, and, and then you read the Word of God. The more you pray, the more you read, the more confidence in Him you're going to have. And the more you know all He's done and how little you've done. It kind of helps put us in our place sometimes. That's how we grow. The fourth thing, seek the kingdom of God, not the three Bs. What matters most is the kingdom of God, not bigger buildings, not budgets, not more bodies. It's the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas planted churches, and then they moved. They planted church, and then moved. They're not interested in building empires, but God's kingdom. Can I just tell you, we told you this many times, there's 11,578 people within a 20-mile radius of Brighton that do not know Jesus. 11,578. That's why we have to be more about the kingdom of God. Because there's people we rub shoulders with every day who don't have a relationship with him. Tell me we don't have a mission. I'm going to point to 11,578 who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Reggie McNeil, he says this about the kingdom of God. I love this. He says, the way of the kingdom is a spirit, an attitude, and a life that honor God and allow us to serve as collaborators with him in helping others experience life he intends for them. That's the kingdom of God, Right? An attitude, a life that honors God and allows us to serve as collaborators with Him in helping others experience the life that God intended for them. 
That's the kingdom of God. That's our job. That's our focus. Helping others experience what we've experienced. And then lastly, fifthly, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to go ahead and ask Riley if she can come back to the piano. The worship team, can you come on up? The fifth one is discipleship. Before Paul and Barnabas headed home on their missionary journey, they're going, to, they're going to risk seeing some of the churches they planted one more time. They're going to go back through the seas who rejected them, the ones that stoned them. Why? Because they want to make disciples. They want to raise up those. Look at that in, verses four, in chapter 14, 21, 23. It says this. When they preached the gospel to the city, they made many disciples. They returned to Lysuria and Icom and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when you had appointed elders for them, every church, and with prayer and fasting, they commended, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What are they saying? They're saying it was not easy, but they suffered during the mission, but they're rejoicing. Again, it was not easy. They suffered, but they're rejoicing. Now, I know, I know people get nervous when I say things like, let's raise up disciples. You're like, Pastor, again, that's not my cup of tea. You know, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a minister. I'm not making disciples. That's what we pay you for. Some of you are like, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know enough scripture. Don't overcomplicate things. Make disciples. What does it look like? Have a cup of coffee with somebody. Every one of us can do that, unless you don't like coffee. And I'm sorry. You don't know what living is. Have a cup of coffee. I sit down. And what you do during coffee, you just tell them what the Lord's been doing in your heart. So, man, the Lord's been really working on me. Let me show you some of these verses that he showed me lately. I mean, it's so cool. What God just... That's making disciples. You get together and you just talk about Jesus. Say, you'll never believe what I heard this Sunday at church. That Zach was 6'4". There's no way Zach's 6'4". You just, you just start a friendship with somebody. That's, these, that's, what, that's making disciples. Jesus, how did he make disciples? Literally walked with his buddies. Walked with his buddies. Showed them how to love people. Come on. You having that coffee? The way you treat that, that person serving you that coffee, guess what? That might be a witness to that person that you're sitting with. They're like, oh, why is he so nice to that person? You're making disciples. See how easy that was? Over coffee. It's not a challenge. Don't overcomplicate something. Just hang out. Just tell them what God's doing in your life. Share something about your red. That's making disciples. So let me turn back real quick. What are the five principles of a faithful mission? Boldly sharing the gospel. Enduring on mission despite opposition. Humility in selves confidence in the spirit seeking the kingdom and discipleship as we look at these these principles it redefines trying to be successful 
and trying to be faithful. Trusting God with results. That's it. Trusting God with results. All these things, you're planting seeds. All these things, you're just trying to be faithful. You know what all these things require? God to move. You're not in charge. Hello, some of you need to hear that this morning. You're not in charge. You're not responsible for souls. You're not responsible for saving anybody. That's God's job. All we're responsible is be faithful. Be faithful in sharing the gospel. Be faithful in enduring even when we're face opposition. Be faithful in being humble. Be faithful in seeking the kingdom of God. Be faithful in making disciples. That's our role in this job. But again, I know some of you walked in this morning and you're not feeling very successful. Maybe you walked in this morning you're like, Pastor, I feel like I am failing at life. I can't keep up with my schedule. I can't keep up with my finances. I can't keep up with my job. I can't keep up with my relationships. I feel like I'm treading water and I'm about to go under. I'm not successful. I tell you, he's here this morning. He's here this morning to remind you that you are his. You're his child. You are made in his image. And he's chasing after you no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone. He wants a relationship with you. I just, I've done too much. I've made too many. No, that's baloney. Don't believe the lies of Just know, trust that verse where you're his masterpiece, his workmanship. And that God, when he created you, he's creating you. He's putting into you these special gifts, makes you who you are. That same God has not left you. And yet you're measuring yourself by the world standards and the world tells you you stink. But God's here this morning to tell you, no, no, no. You're unbelievably special. So special. My son stepped out of heaven to walk on the earth as a human, to die on the cross as a human, be raised again, just to let you know how special you are. God's eyes, you're successful. God's eyes, you're not a failure. Maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. Would you stand with us this morning? If you asked the Jewish leaders of the time, was Paul and Barnabas excessive failures? They would say, without a doubt, failures. Come on. The people today, the religious experts, would said Paul and Barnabas, failures. But we're standing today on their shoulders. We're in a church today because of Paul and Barnabas. You think they saw that in that moment? No. That's why some of you are judging by the world standards at this moment you don't understand what God's doing 
how God's moving, how God's working. If you've been praying for somebody for 10 years, don't stop praying. You've been praying for that spouse, that loved one, that they would get a hold of Jesus, don't stop praying. Pastor, I'm a failure. No, don't stop. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. This morning we're going to close. We're going to lead us in a song. If you walked in here, you feel like a failure. Like I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of treading water. I'm just tired. I'd like to invite you down to the altar. I'd like to pray with you. I know God loves you. I know God has not given up on you. God does not think you're a failure. And God wants to remind you of that this morning. So if you find yourself in that spot, would you come join me in prayer? We'd love to pray with you. I want to ask the worship team to lead us in the song before we dismiss. Thank you.